All right, welcome into another edition of Running for the Roses, a late June edition. The off season is crawling to an end. We're about a, a month out from media days. We've got all sorts of stuff to talk about. I'm Ryan Baffalukas. I'm joined by my partner in crime, as always, from Nashville, Tennessee, Mr. Lucas Rody. Lucas, how are you? I'm doing very, very well. I think yesterday we hit, I think it's two months until week zero. Um, I think oh, baby. Uh, August 27th. So I am very, very excited. It's starting to feel, uh, getting the urge, seeing training camp dates come out for the NFL. And uh, yeah, media days are just right around the corner. Yeah, Lucas was uh, was telling me a couple minutes ago before we pressed record that the Phil Steele College Football Preview Edition, the magazine coming out in a couple of days or as early as uh, early July. Um, and that's when it really gets real for me. Like like when I start seeing at Fry's or the grocery store or Barnes & Noble, like the College Football Preview magazines from Athlon or, you know, Phil Steele, it's like, all right, it's getting real. And here pretty soon we'll have an NCAA video game coming out right around this time of year. So oh, that'll be fun too. Oh, man. Oh, man. So that'll be, <laughs> that'll be some hours lost for sure. Lucas, yeah. we start every pod now. We have a new tradition. It's the Lucas Lawn Report, the LLR. Uh, so, Lucas, take it away. It is doing, it's doing well. Uh, the only issue, it has not rained here in Tennessee in like two weeks, which I know in Arizona that is completely normal. Goodness gracious, yeah. Um, but here it is a complete drought. And luckily I, I water my grass, so it is still looking relatively well. But um, starting to get some dry spots, um, especially out front. You go anywhere, all grass. It just looks like it's all fried right now everywhere else. So would really, really like some rain uh this coming weekend we're supposed to get some but we had a 70 percent chance on sunday and it didn't do anything so uh i'm not holding my breath but otherwise it's great the dogs love it we love it hopefully going to be having a, a housewarming party here very very soon which if you're up to making the trip nice yeah give right. me a give me a date man always an excuse to go to nashville always <laughs> an excuse to go to nashville all right, little run of show here. Lucas and I are going to break down one of the biggest commitments in the 2023 class. Arch Manning commits to the University of Texas, number one player in the 24-7 sports composite, quarterback out of Louisiana. Uh, we will then discuss the ACC new scheduling model that was released publicly uh, this morning, the 3-3-5 format. Uh, Lucas and I will then play a game of hot or not, where we are going to read uh, some statements to each other, and then the other one has to decide if that's a hot take or not a hot take. Uh, but Lucas, obviously, I think we'll start with Arch Manning. Um, it was we're probably four or five days late. Um, Arch Manning commits to Texas, I believe, last week. Number one player in the class, um, and obviously carries the last name Manning, and I think that's one of the biggest. Um, that's kind of the, one of the biggest storylines for this recruitment is not only the player, but what that brings to Texas. And I saw that Texas had seven more commitments since Arch Manning joined the fold last week. And their uh, recruiting class has jumped like 30 spots in the, in the composite. So Lucas, your reaction to Arch Manning turning down the likes of Georgia and Alabama and pledging for Steve Sarkeesian. Yeah, I mean it's it's a huge huge uh, coup for for Sark, um, especially coming off of a five and seven season just a year ago, um, and now they're absolutely loaded at the quarterback position. I mean, you had Quinn Ewers transfer in this year. A lot of people are already penciling him in to be the starter. Was kind of what Arch Manning was uh, a couple years ago. Was considered kind of a once in a once a few once every like ten year type prospects. Um, transferred in from Ohio State. So I, I'm very, very interested to see how that plays out for the most part. Because if Ewers plays this year, I mean, is, is Manning going to redshirt? Is he comfortable sitting next year while uh, Ewers uses up his eligibility? So um, really, really interested on that focus. But um, and see if it does account to anything for Texas on the field. I know me and you have tech, texted back and forth. You know, the, recruiting still has never been an issue for Texas. Um, they've always seemed to pile 10, uh, top 10 recruiting classes. It's developing. And we saw that this year, I think they did not have a single player drafted in the NFL draft. They might've had one, but I know it was like their fewest since like the 1930s. So, um, that's been particularly their issue. And I get Arch Manning's decision. I mean, 
they're going to be able to have talent. They've always had talent at the receiver position. Sark obviously has had a great history of, of grooming young quarterbacks back to when he was an offensive coordinator at USC. So um, it's huge for them. And as you mentioned too, it, it reciprocates on the recruiting trail. People want good players want to play with other good players. And usually getting a, there's usually always that water down effect when you get a, a high ranked quarterback in that class. I think it's, it's a very, obviously for Texas, it's huge. And I, I think it's kind of more so like, this is a big name recruit that believed in the vision of the program. And I don't think this was a situation where Arch went to the highest bidder. His family doesn't need the money. This isn't a situation where like whoever paid him the most was going to get him. It felt like it truly needed to be the best situation for Arch. And maybe that is coming in and sitting behind another five-star player and red shirting and getting to learn and not feeling the pressure of, I have, I'm going to be thrust into this and have to play right away. Um, the fact that Texas beat Alabama and Georgia for a major recruit is a huge win. And I'm guessing this is going to make the skill position recruiting at Texas, specifically at wide receiver and tight end, very easy. I mean, if, mm -hmm. if you're, or even the transfer market, right? If you're a receiver, you know, a star receiver at a conference USA school next year and you break out and you're a first team all American, what's, why wouldn't you want to transfer to Texas? Yeah. So certainly it's a recruit that the magnitude is felt at different levels for that program. It's interesting. I read you his stats before the, um, before we started recording the pod and they're, they're kind of pedestrian and I'm, I'm not really here to pile on a 17 year old player. Arch Manning might very well be really, really good, but Arch Manning as a junior, um, this past year playing in two A football in Louisiana completed 62% of his passes for 1300 yards, 17 touchdowns, four interceptions. Um, you know, not outstanding statistics from a quarterback, like what we've seen from guys like Trevor Lawrence, right. Or even yeah. like this is uh Gunnar Stockton who is going to be a freshman this year. Had 4,100 yards, 55 touchdowns, one interception in 13 games last year. Like, I don't know. I, I think the narrative that I'm starting to see a little bit emerge online is if his last name wasn't Manning, where would Arch be rated? He'd probably still be a pretty highly rated recruit. He'd be probably a mid to high four-star, maybe a five-star. Might not be the number one player in the country. And 24-7 sports isn't isn't dumb. Like, they, they need clicks and they need subscriptions. And anytime they put Arch Manning in a, in a tweet, in a article, in a video, it's going to do massive, massive, mm -hmm. uh, you know, numbers. I'm just going to name this podcast Running for the Roses, colon, Arch Manning, Arch Manning, Arch Manning. Like, that's <laughs> just going to be the podcast. So it'll be interesting. Um, I think it will be interesting. And, and, and Texas certainly, like, assuming Arch Manning makes it to campus – and Quinn Ewers does what most people think he will do. Like that's a pretty stacked quarterback room. And we know that you need that now in the transfer portal NIL era. Yeah. And I liked how you mentioned too, with the transfer portal with, you know, maybe they get a, a top receiver from the group of five. I mean, we could see it where it's another Jordan Addison situation with Texas. If that, that quarterback situation improves where they might be able to pull some of the best wide receivers from other power five schools. Uh, to team up with either Ewers um, uh, of Arch Manning. But my thing is, it, uh, I just kind of segue uh, into this, is, you know, with, with big recruits, I, I just don't feel the, the same oomph that you used to get because the transfer portal, if something goes, there's nothing securing Arch Manning. One, he still has to sign uh, with Texas until December. Not saying he's going to flip or anything, but situations could change especially if texas has another down year but also you know he could go to texas quinn years could beat him out and then all of a sudden we're going through the same scenario maybe a year from now when um he's trying to to figure out another home and i know you kind of wanted to touch on that just kind of how recruiting maybe isn't necessarily obviously it's not what it used to be but also just from a fan that that used to enjoy following up on recruiting, it's just maybe not as interesting as it once was. I think it's not as interesting for several reasons, right? 
Because you're right. Like, there's nothing, especially within the NIL world, right? Like, you have all these quarterbacks that have now committed, right? Alabama has its quarterback, and Texas has its quarterback, and Georgia, like, whatever. What's to stop a grandfather NIL offer of $20 million for three seasons to come in in December? Like, these commitments really didn't, haven't meant anything, and now they really don't. Because we know that if, tex- if Texas A&M misses on its top five quarterbacks, one rich booster might be like, screw it. Here, here's a $5 million check. Go out and get whoever we need to get. And that player might, and I'm not saying Arch Manning, but a lot of players might be like, hey, like this school's offering me double what you guys offered me. I'm going to need, I'm going to need you to match that. Yeah. So, I mean, like we've seen Louisville sign a, a five-star running back, Ruben Owens, or not sign, but have a commitment from a five-star running back. Michigan State's doing some really good things in the recruiting trail as well. But, you know, until they show up on campus, it's I'm not as excited. And then, you know, what's to stop a play? Like, even like, let's say Louisville gets Ruben Owens mm-hmm. and he signs. He has a great freshman season. He has 1,400 yards. He's a first-team all-conference member. And then Alabama comes and says, hey, man, we're ready to offer you a great NIL deal. to come. We're going to offer you seven figures to come play for us. Boom, he's gone. So even as a fan of these kind of not mid majors, but these middle tier power five schools, kind of like, you know, we are, um, I'm just not tied to these players anymore. Like, why yeah. would I be tied to, oh, I really want to get this kid. He's a junior quarterback from San Diego. He's going to be, he's going to change our program. Or he's going to like be mediocre for two years and then transfer to LSU like Jane Daniels was, you know? Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Like I find myself not following 24 seven as closely as I used to in years past. And to be fair, my football program is just in a complete tailspin. So it doesn't, you know, but I, I, I don't know. And then like, I also think like, I remember um, when Louisville got their five-star running back, all these articles were like, what a Scott Satterfield really busting his tail recruiting. And I'm like, no, he just got a major NIL deal to go there. Like, I feel like we have to, like, change the narrative on how we say this guy's a great recruiter. Like, just because Josh Heupel was able to land his five-star quarterback an $8 million deal from their collective doesn't mean he's a great recruiter. It just means that collective really wanted that player and had the funds available. But but do you think, to kind of counter that, I feel like you could argue they're a good – maybe not necessarily a good recruiter because it's taken on such a different – uh, objective, but you could argue like if if they're able to pull that off, they at least have their ducks in a row. Sure, uh, and have established maybe it's not necessarily a recruiter, but they know how to establish more recruiting organization that now strongly incorporates with NIL. Because then again, like if Tennessee could have gotten them, there's probably ten to fifteen, ten to twenty other programs that could have probably given him a similar offer. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of looking at that, but I do get your point where it's like, you know, for instance, like Brian Hartline at Ohio state is a fantastic recruiter. They just pulled in like two five-star wide receivers, uh, just a week ago. Um, I'm sure they got good NIL deals, but, um, he's been doing this this whole career, but I get it. It is just about the money, but that's kind of, and for me, it's just, that's just the professionalization that we're seeing of college sports. Um, it's no different than if a free agent goes and, um, you know, even if it's to a lowly program like Louisville, I don't necessarily consider it a lowly program, but you could maybe argue maybe down the line, we found out his NIL deal. We're like, well, they overpaid. Well, of course they did. They're Louisville. They had to, to get a five-star running back from Texas to commit to them over all the other offers he had. So um, I kind of, I see, I see your point. I do get it. Um, Cause I, I'm feeling the same way. Like you look at all these, like recruiting rankings like years ago, especially like with Texas, for example, you could be like, okay, these guys are going to be good in three, four years. Now, who the hell knows? I mean, I think if you can hold on to a recruiting class and half of those guys stay with your program all four years, I think that's considered a successful recruiting job that you've done. Well, and not only that, but if you have, if you miss on some of your players, it's easier now than ever to go out and get readily established college players from the portal. And I think the trend you're going to see is I think instead of these schools signing 25, 22, 23 high school kids, 
they're going to sign 12, 13 high school kids, and they're going to sign 10, 12 transfers. Um, and that's how they're going to build their rosters because, especially at like, like quarterback or offensive line, some of these really hard positions to evaluate where it's like, all right, great. This, you know, 17 year old kid from Georgia is six foot six and 300 pounds, but he's the guy he's going up against is like six one one eighty. you know, like I'm going to go look for the guy from the Mac that just made first team all Mac, like from central Michigan. Like that's I'm, like, I think it's, you're going to see a lot of differences in how college programs recruit. Yeah. Um, and in terms of the number that they bring in, because you don't get three years anymore. Billy Napier had to issue an open letter to his fan base before he coached a game because of some supposed losses on the recruiting trail. Like, I mean, you don't get three years. You basically, if you don't show promise by year two, you're probably gone, especially if you're in the SEC or like the Big Ten. Like if you're a school that has, if you're a school that really cares about football, if you haven't turned things around or showed promise by year two, you're done. I also wonder, this was one thing I, I had a thought of like, it almost seems like your 24-7 or on three or rivals star rating is really important now because that could literally get you millions of dollars. I mean, millions of like the difference between being ranked as like the fourth best quarterback in the country and the 24th best is millions of dollars. Now, I know that it's these coaches that are brokering these deals or these coaches are pointing to the collective. Hey, we really want this guy. What's his number? But it got me thinking. I'm like, I wonder, like, who's to stop a, a, a agent from saying, "Hey, I'm representing," because these kids now have NIL agents, Lucas. Oh yeah. Like, what's to stop a, an NIL agent from saying, "Hey, here's fifty grand. I need you to bump my kid up in the rankings so we can," you know, like. <laughs> now we have that to look at. It's like it's just wild west, man. Well, I would love to see, and we'll probably get numbers like this in three to four years, but. You know how we always see when, when a person slides in the NFL draft from like the top 10 to like the top 20, we're always like, oh, that cost him four or five million dollars. Yeah. How I would love to see how much the extra star from a four to a five or a, like a three star, like a high three star to a low four star, how much that incremental difference costs a person average in an NIL deal. It would be very, very, I think that's a, a great point. Hundred percent. I mean, the the difference because technically four and five stars are blue chips, and three star mm -hmm. isn't. The difference between being a a four star who is ranked like two hundred and twenty eighth in the country versus a three star that's ranked like three hundred and fifteenth, you're right, is potentially thousands of dollars, if not more. And it's going to be really interesting. The NIL stuff I find fascinating. I find that like this class twenty three is going to really um, cash in. I think 24 maybe. And this is something I said, you know, weeks ago when we started talking about this, like eventually the market will correct itself. Eventually if, if Jaden Rashada signs with Miami, he gets paid $9.5 million over four years or three years. And that guy stinks. Right. Or the, the five-star running back that got $2 million to go to whatever isn't good. Teams are going to be a little bit more hesitant, hesitant to give out that money. I, I just, truly believe that that they will and yeah. go ahead no i was just gonna say the the only the only thing i might have that that says that that might not happen though i i generally agree there'll be a market correction is you know we still see co we still see boosters spend millions of dollars on buyouts firing coaches no matter what the cost is and that's that, just, it, that just seems to get crazier and crazier where you know they might miss out on a player but they're like hey like we don't want to be the team that misses out just because we got burned last time. Um, so that would be maybe the only, the only argument I may have against that is we might not see, but it might just not be a free for all. My, my issue I kind of have is, and we kind of brought it up. Like if a, like, I think you're going to have kids here. You've already seen it where kids to get more attention for better offers, leave their, their, their current school, like high school, to go to either a bigger public school or private school or like IMG to net bigger offers. I think we're going to see more and more of that at the lower level. Cause it's like, Hey, if I stay at this, I probably won't get recognized more than like a three star, but if I can go to a bigger school transfer somewhere else, I might be able to get more and net more NAL money. That's, I think it's just going to transition to the lower levels. 
but we'll see. And and then just quickly before we like before we move on, like I'm also really interested to know what happens when these kids start transferring with these NIL deals. <laughs> because like what happens if you sign an NIL deal with AM and you want to transfer to Oklahoma State? And does that collective that's an Aggie collective that you signed with, you didn't sign with the yep. school, school's not paying you, but the Aggie collective is, are they gonna just let you and your thirty thousand dollars a year or whatever it is, maybe more a year leave? Are they not? Are there legal ramifications? Are there lawyers? Is it? I mean, I'm just that's I'm that's kind of what I'm interested in. Yeah, because uh, we haven't seen that yet. Because this is also new. Most people haven't haven't transferred yet. Or you're um, you're like the basketball player from Miami who threatens to to leave the school unless he gets a better NIL deal um, or somewhere else. So yeah, no, all very interesting. Like I said, I think the focus on recruiting, we may lose more interest in high school recruiting, but I think the transfer portal, all that stuff, I think will become what we start tracking a lot more of. Indeed. Indeed. It's running for the roses. That's Lucas Rohde. I'm Ryan Baffalucas. Uh, we're going to switch topics now and talk a little ACC football. The ACC announced today in, uh, they had announced a couple of weeks ago, a new scheduling model starting next year. That would move to the three-five-five scheduling model that I know Lucas and I are both fans of, and mm-hmm. essentially what this is is the ACC has fourteen teams in its conference. Each team gets three annual opponents that they will play every year, and then the other ten teams they will play uh, every other year. They will they, they will play twice during a four-year cycle, once at home, once in away. So no more of this like Pittsburgh's going to play NC State once every fourteen years at home kind of a thing like it, theoretically if a player goes to a school as a freshman they will play every team in the conference at least twice if they stay there four years and they will at least visit every other stadium in that in that conference so lucas i'm going to go through just a couple i'm not going to read all of the primary uh, opponents clemson gets florida state georgia tech nc state uh duke gets all of the north carolina schools north carolina nc state and wake Florida State, I think, kind of hosts a little bit. They get Clemson, Miami, and Syracuse. Uh, Louisville gets Georgia Tech, Miami, Virginia. Virginia Tech gets Pitt, Virginia, Wake Forest. Wake Forest gets Duke, Georgia Tech, and Virginia Tech. So uh, anything kind of stand out? What are your thoughts? I'm very surprised that they're adopting this so soon. I love it. We don't have to schedule things 18 years in advance like we do in college football. It's not a big deal. I love that they're doing this now, and uh, I'll give my thoughts on some teams that I thought made out pretty well and who didn't. But what 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 are your thoughts? I, I love it. it kind of just uh, hear you. This is now the second uh, Power Five team that now has officially dropped divisions. I know the Pac-12 technically still has them in a in a scheduling purpose, but they yeah. won't be deciding who plays in the championship game uh, this year. But I, I love this. I wish. You know, just personally, they could have gone to nine. I understand staying at eight. A lot of ACC teams have rivalries outside um, of their conference. They also have to make sure that Notre Dame gets its, what, four to six games every year out of the ACC. Yeah. Yep. So, um, no, I think I think it's awesome because, like you mentioned, they were going because it was you played six, the same six every year, and then you played one permanent crossover, which meant you only had one other space to rotate through. So you were going six, seven years without playing certain teams. And I just think that is just, that's just awful. If you're considered to be in the, in the same conference, I love dropping the divisions because we've seen, you know, Clemson, Florida state for a long time. You can make an argument where the two best programs in that conference. However, only one of them could make the, the title game because of the division set up. So I, I, I love it. Um, I think this is kind of the way we're going to see um, the rest of the conferences go. Um, like the SEC's already been talking about it. They've already said they're going to drop divisions. Um, they just don't know if they're going to do eight or nine. And the Big Ten has already said um, that they're looking into dropping divisions as soon as next year, too. So I think it's just the way of the future. Most all the conferences, I think, believe this is their best way to get more teams in the college football playoff, which is now the biggest emphasis for scheduling right now. Um, but no, I think it's great. It's simple. It's easy to understand. And you know, who your opponents are going to be, 
every single year. And I think the thing that's awesome is they just mapped this out until 2026. So if there are maybe rivalry games that are duds or there are new rivalries that start to pop up against your, that are outside the, your primary three, maybe you can rotate a team out um, after four years um, and have another primary uh, opponent. So I'm unfair of it. I just can't wait for the rest of the conferences to kind of follow suit. Yeah, I mean, I think you basically hit the nail on the head. I think there are so many positives to this. I just think as as like for fans, the ability to travel and see more of your conference, like the Pac-12, I don't have to worry about this, right? ASU, I believe, plays every opponent at least once every two years because you play nine games and there's only 12 teams. But when you're in the SEC and the ACC, like play eight games, like you said, eight games, six against your division, one permanent crossover. And you only have one rotating crossover cross division game. Yeah. That's brutal. That's why North Carolina and NC State, or uh, North Carolina and and Wake, yeah, thank you. Why they scheduled a non conference game? Like because they weren't going to play each other for like a decade. Um, and so I, I just think as a fan, this is a much better. It's a good thing for fans. I think certain teams will be a little upset about who they got. I mean, I I, I look at Pittsburgh and. Like Wake Forest, like I think they made out really well. Pittsburgh gets Boston College, Syracuse, Virginia Tech. Virginia uh, Wake Forest gets Duke, Georgia Tech, and Virginia Tech. I think that is really good for both those teams. Um, Florida State getting Clemson, Miami, when Miami kind of seems like they're on the uptick is is yeah not ideal. Um, but honestly, like I'm looking at the graphic now on the ACC Twitter account, like it's very balanced. I mean, it's very. They did a good job keeping the rivalries. Like you're not going to make everyone happy. It's not going to be a perfect, but like, like you said, it's four years, you know, maybe like I was reading some of the comments from some fans on Reddit and a lot of like Wake Forest fans were upset that they don't get it. Uh, NC state, right. NC state and Wake Forest is one of the oldest continuously played rival. I think they played every year since like 1909. Oh, wow. Um, and they don't get them as a permanent opponent. Now, they'll play them every other year. Not like you won't see them for six years. But that's something that you can change in four years. It's not permanent. So I think the ACC really got it right. Um, all these teams, like, and now, like, you know what your conference schedule is. You know what your, you could plan a trip if you're a Florida State fan to go to watch your team play Boston College and go do a weekend in Boston or, or go do a weekend in it, Atlanta, right? Like, whatever. Like, I think it, it's a uh, it's a good mixture of, of planning for the future, but keeping interesting matchups in the present. And I'm excited for other teams uh, to do this, other other conferences. Yeah, and I'm hoping by uh, by media days that I I'm assuming just because I know especially with the Big Ten they're going to be announcing their new media rights deal probably around media days, and I'm assuming that they gave a scheduling model to their new media partners about what to expect. Uh, and the SEC said they were going to be voting to decide either a new revamped eight-game schedule or a new revamped nine-game schedule without division soon. So, um, no, I think it's better for college football, like you said. I think conferences, when teams play each other more often, it makes it all the all the worries. So, yeah, no, no negatives, I think, on this. And I also think the ACC is doing this as a way to hopefully at some point renegotiate their, their television deal with ESPN. Um, because they're locked until 2036. Another interesting note, this goes through 2026. I don't know if this was like the case, but that is also the first, or that is probably the first year that we may have an expanded playoff. So I'm interested to see, obviously it's four years, but to see how this model impacts the current playoff model. And I think it's interesting that the last year of this current scheduling agreement is um, the first year of what we expect to be hopefully like a 12 team expanded or expanded in some sense and see how that accomplishes their goals of getting more teams into the postseason. Man, when you just say the word expanded in college football playoff together, it just, it just really ruffles my feathers. So hopefully <laughs> we'll see what happens. I, I, I never expect the higher ups in the sport to do things that are, would actually benefit the sport. So we'll see what happens or make sense. Yeah. Like do things that actually make sense. I even texted you today. Like when this, when you texted me and the scheduling model came out, it's like, Oh my God, common sense actually prevailed for one. Yeah. (laughs) That makes sense. 
Lucas, maybe one day we won't be scheduling non-conference games 12 years in advance. Maybe one day. Yeah, we can maybe one day. I, I do find it is kind of funny how both the ACC and the SEC, they refuse to call this POTS, which is basically what this is. Yes. Um, they refuse to call this POTS. Instead, they say we're going to a one-division format. No, you're not. There's no divisions. You're a conference. Um, but that's what it said on the, the ACC thing was we're, we're one division now. And then uh, the SEC said they're going to a one division model as well. And it's just like, just call it either pods or just say we're putting it. I don't know. It's just, I just think it's kind of funny how they're, they're trying not to say pods, basically. Yeah. Like, hey, we don't need divisions. It's one conference. Like, we're good. Yeah. We're good. Uh, all right. So we are going to play our game here. Um, we're going to play hot or not. And so this is my idea. We're going to, so if, it's, if it sucks, it's, it's, it's on me. Uh, Lucas and I are going to alternate telling each other hot takes or, or statements that might be a little hot takeish. We're going to use that as a launching point for discussion. And then the other one has to say, is that a hot take or is it not a hot take? So I have four written down. Lucas has upwards of seven. So I will give Lucas uh, the floor first to read his first uh, statements about the upcoming college football season. So I'm actually going to stick in the ACC. We were just talking about that conference changing their, their scheduling model next year. My thing is Clemson will go a second straight year without an ACC title. <sighs> wow. I, oh, that's, a, that's a good one. I, I don't think that's a hot take. I don't think that's a hot take. Um, I think the biggest question for Clemson now is that they had so much good quarterback play for upwards of eight years, right? You had three, I guess, six years. You had three years of Deshaun Watson, three years of Trevor Lawrence. And now you go into second season with DJ, who might even be getting pushed by their incoming freshmen. Mm-hmm. Um, and listen, Clemson, like to their credit, like Davo, like they didn't quit last year. Like they won their bowl game. I think they finished with 10 wins. Yep. 10 um, they didn't, they, they didn't lose a game at home. They haven't lost a game at home in like a decade. Yeah. Um, now I think NC state's going to be pretty good. Wake forest brings back basically everyone from that double digit win team last year. They did win the Atlantic. Um, wake does get Clemson at home. I think it's early in the schedule. Do you have Clemson schedule? Uh, I'll, I'll talk if you just want to, because I'm, I'm yeah, interested yeah. to know who their, who's their cross division game and, and who is their, like, who's their, um, like the road splits for like NC state, Wake Forest. Um, so got, um, uh, so they got Georgia tech for week one. Um, so oof, tough one. So they got, so non-conference. So. They're across, so they they're at Wake on September twenty fourth, and then their other cross division would be oh they have Miami. Interesting. Yeah, they play Miami the week before they play South Carolina. So those are their two crossovers um, this season uh, that are in there. Um, followed by, I mean, otherwise, I mean, they have at Florida State. I mean. We're expecting Florida State to be better and improve. They're FBC. Uh, they they but they get Louisville at home, who I think might surprise people this year. But yeah, I think that game against Wake because they played Wake last year, right? And they beat them relatively. They beat, yeah, they they beat Wake at home. That was Wake's only ACC loss. Gotcha. Um. Oh yeah, because North Carolina was a, a non-conference. Game. North Carolina was a non-con game. <laughs> Um, now, I think the, the one of the questions that surrounds this is what does the Coastal look like, mm-hmm. right? I mean, Brennan Armstrong returns to Virginia, but they have a new coach. Miami has a new coach. Granted, they might have the best quarterback in the division, Tyler Van Dyke. Pittsburgh loses Kenny Pickett and Jordan Addison. They're probably rebuilding. So the Coastal, once again, like every year, you know, North Carolina has to replace Sam Howell. Every year going to be a crapshoot. So yeah. I don't th- – I think Clemson has a good chance to win the ACC, but like, I don't know if we're going to see another dominant like thirteen and zero run through the division. You know, Clemson. What do you think? Yeah, we could easily see. I mean, it wouldn't shock me if the winner of the ACC this year has two or three losses 
um, where you have like a ten and two Clemson versus like a nine and three uh, like Miami or something like that in, in the ACC title game. Because um, I would say Clemson's probably toughest uh, conference game besides Wake. I mean, obviously NC State is getting I feel like a lot of hype this year. Um, Devin Leary is kind yeah. of a dark horse Heisman. But they get that game at home. And that was a game last year. NC State beat them, but it was like a double overtime game. On the road. Yeah, in Raleigh. So, and I think that was the first time NC State had, or at least Dave Dorn, I think, has beaten Clemson since he took over at NC State. Um, So, yeah, I think it's, I think the biggest thing for me is, I mean, if, if DJU or their quarterback situation, if they're just like average to above average, they probably can win the ACC outright with that. Um, the biggest thing with Clemson obviously is nationally if they're doing it, but, uh, they got to have much better quarterback play, but yeah, I don't think it's, I don't think it's a hot take just because, um, you know, we know how volatile the ACC is. Um, that being said, I still think it will be tough because their division. I just don't think outside of maybe Wake Forest and, and, uh, and NC state, but both those teams, I think they can still beat them even if they have average quarterback play. So, but I don't think it's a hot take. I just, I think Clemson's super intriguing this year, um, just based off that. Because their offense wasn't good last year, and they still hired from within when uh, when Scott left for, for Virginia. So, yeah, yeah it's, and, and this is, again, like the Dabo dynasty. This is the year where it's like, was last year a blip in the radar? Yeah. Or was last year a trajectory where some of Dabo's principles are coming back to hurt him, i.e. not taking transfers, they used to not have summer official visits. They changed that this year. Like some of the old school way of Clemson culture. And it's worked for him. Like for the people saying Dabo needs to adjust. Dabo needs like Clemson has been the second most like this the second best program in the country the last probably yep. six years. Yep. So clearly something's working. But yep. this will be a fascinating year. And he doesn't take transfers, but nobody leaves Clemson either. They like maybe have one or two transfers a year guys stay there pretty much their whole time so yeah very interesting year for for Dabo and them so ryan we've gone through my first one what is yours okay there will only be one sec team in the college football playoff in 2022 slash like 23 like this upcoming season only be one one sec team in the college football playoff I'm going to say that that's not hot, but it is tough because I just don't know. And one of my hot takes is going to be talking about this. I just don't know who's going to compete with either. If now, if, if Alabama and Georgia were divisionless, like this is our talk next year. But the fact is with the divisions, I just don't see anybody in either side that can compete with either one of those two. And because of that, my thing is we could easily see both of them coming in undefeated in Atlanta, where the winner probably gets the one seed and the loser probably gets the three seed um, in the college football playoff. So, but then again, it only takes two lot like it only takes like one of these teams to slip up once during the regular season, like we saw this with Alabama last year. Uh, they slipped up on the road against Texas A&M as a heavy favorite. They would have lost to Georgia in the SEC title game. They're not even they're not even in the playoff. So I'm just going to say not because I could see one of those two teams losing once just because it does happen. And remember, like Georgia, I don't think is still going to be amazing on offense because no offense, Stetson Benton, national champion quarterback, good, but – True. Their offense doesn't scare you as much as obviously their defense, and they're they're reloading on defense this year as well. So I'm going to say not, but it's it's hard for me not to see it happening again. The reason why I this was my first question, and I think it's one of the biggest questions in college football is like, could this be a down ish year for the SEC? You have a new coaching staff at LSU and Florida. You have Texas A&M, who I feel like is like a year away. Like it, I think Texas A&M could be a 9 or 10 win team. They do get um, – they have to go to Bama. Um, but, like, they're probably a year away. I don't know if Max Johnson is a championship-level quarterback. 
Um, Auburn is a mess, and that will be one of my hot takes at some point as well. Um, but I and but I, I don't know if Georgia is going to be good enough to escape a loss in the SEC. Like, I wonder if Georgia they lose George Pickens, they lose Zamir White, they lose a ton of starters on defense. Um, I wonder if Tennessee gets them. I wonder if Kentucky with Will Levis, who's getting a ton of early season, you know, run. I wonder if if they maybe get them. Um, like I don't think Georgia is going to be as unbeatable as it was last year. Um, and if you look at Georgia's schedule, like they got to play Oregon week one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at South Carolina might be a tough kind of trap game. Um, you do host Tennessee. You got to go at Mississippi State, at Kentucky. I mean, none of this really scares you, right? I'm, I'm not going to say and act like those guys are. But, like, I feel like Georgia might have one or two slip-ups, and maybe Georgia goes into the title game with one or two losses. So, I don't know. A lot of it depends on what happens in the rest of the country. Like, do we get a Pac-12 team like Utah or USC or Oregon? Do we get a big tw- – like, is Oklahoma – what do they look like with Brent Venables in year one? Like – but I, I look at the SEC and I, I think I don't know if there's a ton of teams that really, really scare me besides Alabama, who's going to be yeah. awesome this year as usual. Yeah. No, so. I, I, I'm kind of there with you. Um, and who knows? Like you said, like yeah, they. I think their their crossover games are favorable. Yes, they do have to go to Starkville and Mississippi State could be a, a pretty good team uh, this year. I know they return a lot on defense. Um, their quarterback is uh, oh, what's his name? I can't remember, but coming off a really, really good year where he threw for over four thousand yards last year, I think only had like four interceptions. Um, so, yeah, no, it, it's tough. It's just, I mean, this is what makes the college football playoff extremely. It takes one slip up game to really uh, ruin your chances. But um, and you kind of mentioned the the Big Twelve, and that's kind of where I was going to go. I was going to go next. Yeah. My thing is neither Texas or Oklahoma will win the pack, the big 12 this year. I think it's a hot take. I think it's a hot take. Okay. I think it's a hot take because I don't know if Baylor and Oklahoma state are going to be good enough. Yeah. I think, I mean, Baylor was obviously a surprise kind of a darling last year. They win the conference. Um, it's interesting now that to think back and be like, well, neither team played for it last year. Um, Oklahoma state, I know loses a lot. Um, they lose a lot. I don't know if Oklahoma state's quite like Oklahoma state feels like the team that builds up to something every two or three years. Like mm-hmm. last year was kind of their year, right? 2020, 2020, like that was their year. Oklahoma has some question marks, right? Dylan Gabriel is at quarterback. Brent Venables, you know, the head coach, they lost a ton to transfer, mostly mostly to USC. (laughs) Um, And Texas, I think, is the ultimate wild card in college football. I mean, Mm -hmm. what do we get from Quinn Ewers? I mean, Texas might have the best quarterback, running back, wide receiver trio in the country. I mean, Xavier Worthy, B. John Robinson, and and, and, uh, Quinn Ewers. Like, they should be able to score with anyone. And they get Alabama early. We'll see what they do there. But I think one of those teams will win the conference. If Texas is like eight and four again, like we got issues, Lucas. Like if Texas <laughs> doesn't win nine games, like we got issues. But I'm going to say that's a hot take, but I, I like the question. Yeah. No, I, and that was really the thing was, like you said, Texas is the wild card. And Oklahoma is kind of a wild card this year because everything's so new. Though they, they should – be talented. Dylan Gabriel, his offense coordinator from UCF, um, Jeff Levy, is uh, there in Oklahoma. So maybe they rekindle some fires. But yeah, no, I, I tend to agree with you on that point, just because I also think that the talent gap between Oklahoma and Texas, even with Texas being down and with Oklahoma losing so much this offseason, is so stark in the way those two recruit on just a completely different level than anyone else in that conference. So I think that alone uh, gives them a chance uh, in any game. Um, but uh, what is your, what is your next one, Ryan? Okay. Um, my next one, Brian Harson is fired before the 2022 iron bowl. 
That, I'd say no way that's not a hot take. I thought he was going to be fired in January of 2022. Um, so, I mean, I haven't, let me check there. Uh, I was listed on this on a podcast. Like their, uh, their schedule is pretty brutal. Let me see here. Well, Auburn's schedule is always tough because they every year have to play Georgia and they always have to play. Alabama. So here's uh, the schedule, Lucas. Uh, Mercer, San Jose State, Penn State, Missouri, LSU, at Georgia, at uh, Ole Miss, Arkansas, Mississippi State, A&M, Kentucky, Alabama. Western Kentucky, right. Alabama. And look, you're probably going to be 2-0 and going into Penn State. Penn State, I think, is going to be really good this year. I mean, if they get their their butts kicked in Jordan Hare against Penn State. I could see that. I mean, Auburn, Auburn, Auburn Brewsters are crazy, but I mean, through those that that first seven game slate before they have a bye, they could easily just be what four and three, and then you still have Arkansas have to go to Starkville, you have to go to Texas A and M. Oh yeah, and then you have. I mean, they get Western Kentucky, but then they get Alabama on the road. I mean, if we're basing this off of last year and just all the drama, I think Brian Harson probably has to go seven and five to save his job um, at minimum. I mean, that's what they fired Gus at, though. So I'm not sure if he's safe. But no, I, I definitely think that's the case. If it, that 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 buy there. If they're not, I think five and two, going after that buy, um, I could see that as a time when they they pull the plug on Harson and just cut their losses. And I and I think part of the conversation has to be like, what does the middle class of the SEC look like this year? I mean, Ole Miss loses Matt Corral, uh, LSU. Like, what does LSU look like in Brian Kelly's first year? Is it a nine and three team or is it a six and sixteen? You know, LSU had to bring in a ton of transfers to fill their roster. Uh, Mississippi State kind of is always lingering in that like six and six, seven and five range. Arkansas had a really nice breakthrough year last year. What do they look like in year three under Sam Pittman? Missouri's your cross division game. Uh, you get them at home at least. I think that's doable. It's not like you get Florida or Tennessee or Kentucky at least. So that's 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 doable. But you're right. I mean, you have a chance to set up. You got to beat Mercer, San Jose State. Mm-hmm. You lose to Penn State. I think you got to beat Missouri. That's three and one. You got to beat L- you got to beat LSU at home. That's four and one, right? And then you, you know Georgia, and then Ole Miss. So I, I think Auburn is looking for a, a way to fire Brian Harson, and I, I, I think eventually they probably will get it done. I don't think I think it will be before the Iron Bowl. Because I don't know if they want to give. Remember, they almost won the Iron Bowl last year. They did. They should have you know, won part, the Iron Bowl last they, year. They a hundred percent should have won the Iron Bowl last year, right? <laughs> if Tank Bigsby stays in bounds or like whatever it was, um, I think part of it is these fans don't want to give the coaches they don't like opportunities to like win the job, to like yeah. win back the job. Basically, that's why Ed Orgeron was fired. Ed Orgeron was fired after they beat. I think they beat Florida, and he was Florida. fired. That was like like, uh, like Matt Wells was like five and three at the time with Texas Tech when they let yeah. him go, largely because they didn't want him to wind up winning seven or eight games that year. Um, so yeah, no, I completely agree. I think they are looking for any fallout. I think he's done after this year, regardless. But I mean, we're talking about that Penn State game. That's they're two third. That's a two thirty CBS kick. Like that is going to be on national TV, the mo- usually the most watched game of the day, and if they get whipped in there, I I can almost feel like they might just pull the trigger then, so that they can try to salvage something from the season. But you know what's going to be interesting, just like real quick, because like we've seen these coaches get fired earlier and earlier. I wonder what's the earliest a coach will get fired. Like after, like like will we see a coach after week one? Like Scott Frost loses to Northwestern in Dublin. They're like, hey Scott, like find your own way home, but like we're good. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just wonder, like, what's the earliest we're gonna start seeing this happen? 
I mean, we've seen coaches get fired in like the like training camp. I remember what was it? Uh, I think it was Illinois when they had Tim Beckman. He got fired like they were a week into training camp. I think when he got fired. Usually it's due to off the field like allegations or something like that. But no, nothing nothing shocks me anymore in college football. I remember Les Miles got fired from LSU after their like third game when they lost to Auburn. Um, that year they fell to like two and two, I think, and they fired him and hired Ed Orgeron to be the head coach for the rest of the year. So um, we'll see. I, I don't know if his buyout changes at all as the season goes on. If he makes it further in the season, if that goes down, that might warrant it. But if it's the same, uh, the third week in the season as it is after the Iron Bowl, I nothing would shock me at all. All right. You're uh, you're you're up. Your your third uh, semi hot take. What do we got? Semi hot take. So we will. Uh, I'll stay in the SEC. And so we were we were kind of talking about how kind of that middle ground of the SEC. How will that shape out? I'm looking at preferably the SEC East, where it's kind of Georgia and everybody else. My hot take: South Carolina will be the second best team in the SEC East. Okay, so let's – I have also have a hot take that is a little bit like this. So my hot take was Tennessee is Georgia's biggest threat in the SEC East. Ooh, okay. So let's talk about this. Uh, there's a lot of buzz around South Carolina. There's a lot of good buzz. Maybe it's just these awesome little hype videos I keep seeing on Twitter of, like, when they get a recruit or, like – like, I saw one of, like, Shane Beamer, like, coming off from, like, a curtain and, like, sparks everywhere. <laughs> um. I'm going to say that's a hot take because I, I, I do think Tennessee would be the second best team. I think Hendon Hooker coming back. I think year two under Josh Heupel. Um, they were better than advertised in year one. I mean, for a program that had such turmoil, for a program that was in such disarray, he kind of came and righted that ship. Mm-hmm. And I was pretty impressed with Tennessee. Um, South Carolina, a little bit, you know, same thing like with with, with Shane Beamer, more of a CEO type of coach. Um hire the good staff, recruit well, and kind of, you know, take your hands off of it. Um, yeah, the SEC East is going to be interesting. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if Florida's the second team or, yeah. or, or, or Kentucky. Kentucky. I mean, I don't quite think Missouri or Vanderbilt have the juice, but, like, you could see one of four teams finish second in that, um, in that division. I mean, Kentucky probably has the best quarterback, Will Levis, who, you know, inexplicably is showing up in all of these – in all of these like way too early mock drafts. Like, you know, Will Levis, like I saw him today. He's like a top 10 pick and Matt Miller from ESPN's mock. You know, Will Levis is going to go in like the sixth round next year. Yes, I was, I was just about to say over under yeah. what round he gets picked in. Do Set it at like three and a half. Yeah. Like I'll take the over, man. I'll take yeah. the over. I'll take four or five. It's well, just like last year at this time, we were talking about like Sam Howell and some of these other dudes like being. Remember Jamie Boston. Newman? Jamie. Yeah. Remember the Jamie I mean, Newman hype? Like, he, he didn't even play. He hasn't. Wait, wait, wait. Jamie Newman's in the first round, and he doesn't even get drafted. No. Where Every is, year. Where is Jamie Newman? I, I mean, I, I, I don't know. He's not drafted. <laughs> I don't know. But so South Carolina finished seven and six. Tennessee finished seven and six. Missouri finished six and seven. Kentucky coming off whole hum and a, a ten win season. I feel like we're that. disrespecting Kentucky a little bit, as I feel like everybody does. I feel like we're kind of are disrespecting Kentucky a little bit. Um, I, but so again, to your original question, I, I think it's a hot take, but you gotta like uh, the path that Saint that Shane Beamer and that program are on. I mean, he yeah. got them to a bowl game in year one. They beat Auburn at the end of the season. Like again, like tough job when you have to play Clemson every year. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's that's not easy. You have to play the SEC East. Like you play Georgia and Clemson every year. Yeah. <laughs> so, what do you think about mine in uh, Tennessee? Is Georgia's biggest threat in the SEC East? I like it. I don't know how big of a threat because I think their one game is that in uh, is that in Athens? Their game against I'll check, uh, Georgia. I'll check, stand by. I believe it is. Because um, that was a huge game. I remember last year Tennessee was getting. Huge momentum. I think that was once again that the two thirty, uh, you know, prime, or prime afternoon slot kickoff. Um, no, I, I, I like Tennessee. Obviously, living here, 
Um, everyone is is very very excited about the the Vols. I just always, even though I'm kind of falling it with with South Carolina, it's just if Tennessee goes like six and six this year, are people going to be like pissed when it's like, well, you made a bowl game for the second year in a row. Your program, like you mentioned, was in pretty much complete disarray when Heifel took over. He took over at a very difficult time to take over as a head coach. Um, I like Tennessee just because they're fun, and it's awesome, And I'm really excited to see Hennon Hooker play again this year um, in that offense. Um, so I don't think so that, I don't think it's I don't think it I don't think it's really that hot of a take because we're already discussing how the SC East after Georgia is really hectic. It wouldn't shock me if Tennessee won eight or nine games um, yeah. this season. So just looking at the opponents for South Carolina, Kentucky, and Tennessee, Tennessee out of the West goes at LSU and hosts Bama yeah. back-to-back weeks. They, they get LSU October 8th on the road in Baton Rouge, and they get Alabama at home on the 15th. They do get Florida at home. They go at Georgia, and they go at South Carolina. Yeah. You also have at LSU too. Yes, at at LSU and at Pittsburgh, yeah, uh, as well in a non-conference. Kentucky gets the Mississippi schools. Mississippi State's their annual crossover opponent in out of the West, and they get at Ole Miss on October first. They have to go at Florida early in the season on September tenth, which is probably a good thing before Florida might get some momentum. They do go at Tennessee. They host Georgia. Uh, the last weekend in the SEC on November 19th. South Carolina, they get Arkansas on the road out of the West, and their crossover is A&M, which they get at home. Um, And they go at Florida and host Tennessee and go at Kentucky. So Kentucky set up a little bit. I mean, they, they, they get Georgia at home, South Carolina at home, at Florida early in the season, and then Ole Miss and Mississippi State. So I, I think Kentucky kind of has an inside track a little bit yeah. with the schedule. Um, but it's, it's going to be interesting, man. I mean, I think the middle class of the SEC is going to be really fun this year, kind of like it is every year. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's You could put, what, eight to you know seven to eight teams, and you could argue that – they could go six and six or nine and three. <laughs> I don't think either record would be surprising for either of those teams. So it's why people love SEC football because it is, it's the depth of the conference as everyone always says every year um, when they, uh, when they beat, you know, a big bowl game, it's, it's the toughness of the SEC every year, but uh, um, no. So I'm interested to see it shakes out. Do you want to update? I did find out where Jamie Newman is. He plays for the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the Canadian Football League right now. He signed as a free agent oh. in 2022. He was with Philly last year on their practice squad, but they waived him. So um, who knows? Maybe he'll be playing for either the XFL or the USFL uh, next yeah. spring. So get a job. Uh, all right. So the last one I have written down. My college football statement prediction for 2022. This one hurts me to say it hits close to home. Arizona will win more games than Arizona State this year. <laughs> oh, man. A lot of people are high on Arizona, not like that they're going to compete in the Pac 12, but I feel like a lot of people think they're moving in the right direction, where sadly, um, their biggest rival, ASU, is not moving in a good direction. Um, at all, we still don't know what the ramifications are of uh, of the violations that they had had. But I mean, I so Arizona probably a successful year is what they win three or four games. Yeah, I think if you win four games, I mean Arizona won one game last year. They went one and eleven. I think their oh. only win, I forget who it was. I think maybe Colorado. It was a it, no, they so, beat Cal. They beat Cal. Cal they beat Cal. Cal had like 30 people out with COVID. I remember. Hey, doesn't matter, baby. Doesn't matter. <laughs> but uh, uh, I do know Arizona's non-conference is just brutal. I don't know why they scheduled this. What they go? They go on the road, San Diego State. Like that's a loss. They get Mississippi. I guess they get Mississippi State at home. But then what? The, they're scheduling North Dakota State. Why? Yeah, dude. Yeah, dude. 
what like yeah. if we're a middle one FCS program or FBS program should just know not to schedule North Dakota State because one they're really good but two like you know that they're going to play probably play harder in that game than they will in the national championship game at the FCS level um and Arizona like some of these programs they need to learn how to schedule better but there's a good possibility they could be 0 and 3 to start the year um because, I mean, they lost to NAU last year. Uh, and last time I checked, North Dakota State is a much stronger program than NAU is. Um, they also have to go at Washington. Um, they have to go at Utah, at UCLA. Um, they do get ASU at home uh, to end it. And obviously, they still have to play USC. Um, at least, like, in my part, I think ASU will be able to go 2-1 and one in their non-conference. Um, against NAU and, and Eastern Michigan. Um, it wouldn't shock me. Like, I think this might be a, a little bit of a hot take just because if it was ASU, Arizona might get more Pac-12 wins than ASU, I could maybe see that. But I just think the non-conference schedule with Arizona is, is just way too difficult. Yeah, and, you know, even if it was Arizona will beat Arizona State, I don't think it's a hot take because they get them at home. Yeah. Um, the four, so each Pac-12 South team will play four opponents from the Pac-12 North in addition to their five uh, South opponents. So Arizona gets Oregon, Washington, Washington State, and California. And uh, Arizona State gets uh, Washington, Stanford, Washington State, and Oregon State. So ASU misses Oregon, which is a huge win for them. They go at USC. They'll host Utah early in the season. I would agree with you, like with what you said. I personally would peg ASU to win between four and five games. I think I might be a little bit generous there. Arizona is probably a three or four with team. I mean, maybe they they beat Cal on the road, or or maybe they they get Colorado, Washington State, Arizona State. I mean, maybe they beat North Dakota State. The roster has a lot of talent. They got a lot of good players, especially on offense. Um, but it's still going to take time. I don't think the Arizona State program is in a really good place, but I think it's in a better place, at least on the field 2022-wise, um, than Arizona. But All right, we got time. Let's do one more for you. More. So give me your, your last one. So this one, I actually thought about this while we were recording it. There will be a program this year that will get sanctions for NIL violations from the NCAA. Oh, hundred percent. A hundred percent has to be. That's that, that's a cold take, right? I mean, I think it has to be. I just wasn't sure if it would be this year or next year. I know they implemented new rules, but I just don't know. I still have no idea if the NCAA actually wants to do anything about it or if they just kind of want to act like they're trying to do stuff about it, but. I just wanted to see. So obviously you vehemently agree that there will be a program that gets hit with NIL sanctions this year. Yeah. I mean, my first reaction was yes, but I also wonder if the, I mean, the NCAA was so kind of paralyzed by that Supreme court decision. Mm -hmm. And I think they're walking on eggshells in terms of what they can police and what they can't police. And it's why you saw the transfer portal open up. It's why you saw NIL. Like we cannot suppress salaries and freedoms of these players that we do not pay for a service. Mm -hmm. So when, it, with that, like I could kind of see the NCAA being like, yeah, like we're good. Like we're like, we don't like this, but it's up to the schools, It's up to the coaches. It's kind of seems like that's how they've um, gone at this. The first couple, you know, months, I think we're like a year officially. Yeah. I think July one is like a year, a year. of yeah, NIL. Exactly. Um, but, um, I still think there will be one team that takes it too far or that has blatantly like it'll probably be Nebraska on it. I mean, just like, I mean, Scott Frost wins like Scott Frost wins like 10 games. And then the program just gets put on like indefinite, like sanctions for NIL stuff. You find out they just paid like under the table for Casey Thompson from Texas. <laughs> um, it, it, it will happen. It, I do agree. It will happen to pro if it does, it will happen to a program. That's not like a blue blood. Yeah. Because 
I just don't think the NCAA wants to piss those teams off because they do know that there is a chance that a lot of these power programs might try to leave the NCAA and try to do their own thing. So I could see it where, you know, some of these power programs are just like, hey, we need to enforce this. We need to, the NCAA, you need to show that you at least have some power still. I think they're going to go after kind of like they're doing with ASU right now, even though what ASU did was wrong. They might punish them just to still show, hey, we still have some power, but they're not going to punish the schools that are actually making them money. Because that's the NCAA's still their goal is to still profit as much as they can from unpaid labor. Good old NCAA. Yeah, good good old. Old. There is, I feel like Congress might be the only place that has a higher approval rating than the NCAA. That yeah. Might be a, <laughs> might be yeah. All right. We're sitting about an hour here. Any um, final thoughts or we're, it uh, looks like we're going to go to about, we're going to go back to weekly pods. We're going to get back on the horse, baby. We got about, yeah. I can't wait for media days. They're in about a month and then week zero games about two months away and college football's here. Oh, it's, it's about time. The one thing I will say, it's been nice. So I, I don't know if you've watched it. I've watched a little bit of USFL, the new upstart spring league. It is kind of nice having something. I, I don't watch it religiously. It's more or less if there's if I have nothing else to watch and there's something on. It is nice to see live action football to kind of carry you to uh, to July. Um, but uh, no, I'm super excited. Like we said, Phil Steele's uh, yearly preview comes out pretty soon. We're going to be starting to do probably weekly conference previews, which I'm super excited. Go over probably some uh, some win totals um for them so we can find more ways to lose money gambling and then uh i know i'm very very excited it's right around the corner it's a great time of the year um no and once again always excited uh and i'm excited too because i get to talk to you more often as well yes sir we get some more weekly lucas lawn reports gotta find a sponsor for that like that'll be great maybe we get like turf builder (laughs) like John Deere or something. Yeah, or Greenworks, which is who I bought my uh, my lawn equipment from. So, if if the Greenworks CEO happens to be one of our seven weekly listeners, and that's mostly me hitting refresh on Spotify, <laughs> shout out give uh, give give Lucas some sponsorships. Also, for I those did. for those who do listen, please give us a five star rating and do uh, subscribe to our podcast. We love yeah, it. smash the like button, five star <laughs> notification. <laughs> All right, Lucas, it's fun as always, man. We'll uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right, sounds good.